So we've been in this series called Tug of War. And there's this idea that we've been looking at, we've been wrestling with, that we've got this mission from God, the best mission that our lives can be on, and these shadow missions, right? What we want, what our will is, what our hopes and desires are. And constantly they wrestle back and forth in this tug of war. It's our will versus God's will, his true mission versus our shadow mission. And so we've been looking at what this looks like in our lives. So what is a shadow mission? If we're gonna stay away from these things, we have to know what they look like. So my daughter was born in April and by May, we were stir crazy. We were ready to get out of the house. We needed a break. And my amazing, gracious parents invited us to a friend's house to go to a Memorial Day party. And we were just thrilled to get out of the house. We didn't care where we were going, just take the kids and let's go. And so we headed out to this party and my dad loves to hold babies. Right? They're small, they're tiny, they're safe. He doesn't have to worry about them too much. And so, and he can hand them back as soon as he's done. And so he's bouncing Ainsley, he's kind of holding on to her and he's got this trick and I don't know how he does it yet, but he can put any kid to sleep like that. Like he's the baby whisperer, it's really cool. And so he's holding on to her, she's starting to get sleepy. He puts her up to his chest and he starts patting her and putting her to sleep. And the next thing he knows, something, something warm and wet is dripping down his chest and over his arm. He looks down and Ainsley's diaper has exploded over my dad's shirt. It's kind of this horrific scene. So he takes Ainsley, gently hands her back to my wife who we had prepared for this. We had clothes for her, not for my dad. And he had to go find some way to get clean at this friend's house. What does this have to do with shadow missions? We had decided being the frugal parents we wanted to be, to purchase the cheapest diapers we could. Because we were convinced it's just literally money going into the trash can. We take a diaper, we throw it away. We take a diaper and throw it away. So we thought, they're just going in the trash. Let's buy the cheapest things we can. And we learned in this experience, not all diapers are created equally. There's a reason the name brand ones are more expensive. They're better at what they do. And so we learned not to fall on the shadow mission of cheap diapers at my poor father's expense. <laughs> shadow missions are these things in our lives that look and feel like they might be the real mission. This is the really hard part about shadow missions is that they're not obviously wrong and evil and dark and nefarious most of the time. They look and feel like the real thing, but they're not. I've heard it best explained this way. It's the good that becomes the enemy of the best. God's mission for us is the best that we can have. And what we want in our will, more often than not, is good, but it's not the best. And the way that this works is this. We start out so close to the direction God wants us to go. But, you know, we just take it and we go, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to go after the thing that I think is good, even if it's not what I really am sure what God's telling me to do. And we start moving. And early on, it's pretty close to what God wants. But the further we go along that path, the further we get away from God's mission until we have to do some very serious damage control. And so shadow missions take us down the wrong path, even though they look good from the beginning. So what we've been looking at is where these areas affect us most in our lives, where these shadow missions catch us up. Trent started us out with this idea that there's an overarching shadow mission in our life. Our mission, our best mission is to obey God. But what we do instead is we try to be God. 
So the shadow mission is we try to be God instead of obeying God. We want to do things our way. We want to make the decisions. We want to make the calls. We want to go down our path. But God says, no, if you'll just obey me, I have so much better for you over here, something so much better than you can possibly come up with. And then that overarching shadow mission trickles down into different areas in our lives, in our relationships. We looked at the idea that we can either use our influence and relationships for ourselves and our own benefit, or we can use them to help somebody accomplish God's mission in their lives. So which are we going to choose? Then last week, Trent looked at this idea that there's a church shadow mission. We have this tendency to turn inward very quickly. We become kind of this, this inside gang, and we use this language, and we pat each other on the back, and we encourage each other all good things. But when they become the ultimate mission, we miss God's mission. And God's mission is not just to turn inward, but to turn out, to get outside of these walls, to impact our community, our culture, the people around us, and to be with them. And so we have to avoid the shadow mission of the church to turn inside and find a way to get away from that. We find these shadow missions at work, at home, at school, with family, with friends, and we find it in an area of our lives we don't love to talk about. We find it in our finances. And I know when I say that F word on stage, finances, half of you went, okay, how quickly can I get out of here? So let's do this. Let's all take a breath in and a breath out. One more time. Breath in, breath out. Because here's the good news. I'm not asking you for money this morning. Okay, I promise you, I'm not going to ask you to pull out a checkbook or to hand me some cash because I realize we don't carry that around with us anyway. (laughs) I don't have credit card scanners in the back somewhere. We're not talking about giving us money this morning. We're going to talk about this because I think when we don't, this is the sort of stuff that we make taboo. We say we're not going to talk about these things with people, and they become stumbling blocks in our lives. And then they take control, and they take over, and they ruin lives and relationships, all because we're not willing to have an honest conversation with each other. So we're going to talk about this, and you're stuck with me for another 30 minutes, so I apologize. We're going to talk about it not just because I think it's important, not because Epic thinks it's important. We're going to talk about this because God thinks this is important, and here's how I know that. Jesus taught in these stories called parables in the New Testament. We have about 38 of them collected in the Bible where we tell the stories of Jesus. And of these parables, of the 38 that he told, 16 of them, that's 42%. Almost half the time Jesus taught, he talked about finances, about money and wealth and belongings, what we do with them, how we get them, and how they affect our lives. So it was important to Jesus. 10% of the verses in the Gospels, those four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one in 10 verses deals directly with money. I don't think that's a coincidence. Jesus gives this famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about a whole lot of different things in it, about what God wants in our lives, about relationships, about how we can work with other people, about how we can love other people. And right in the middle of it, he takes a third of his message to talk about money. He's speaking to thousands of people, and he spends a third of this time talking about wealth 
and finances, what we do with it, how we get it, where it creates anxiety in our lives. He says right in the middle of it, in Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think in saying that, he's saying you're going to choose to serve one. And when you're choosing the one, then you're not choosing the other. Are we choosing to serve God or money? Now, here's why I think this is so important to God. God could care less about my money. Do you think God needs my little bit of money that I can give? No, God's not short on cash. He's not strapped. God isn't interested in my money. He's interested in my heart. And here's the truth of the situation is our finances are indicators of where our hearts are. How we use our money, how we get our money, what we do with our money, shows where our trust is, where our hope is, what we worship. That's the finicky stuff we don't like to talk about because I think we know this. I think we know that our money shows something deeper about us. So it's not about the money. It's about our hearts and God cares about our hearts. That's why we're talking about this today. And so this morning, we're looking at the story of a guy in the New Testament who encountered Jesus, who fell into the shadow mission of money. He fell hard. He went way the wrong direction. But the cool part is, and I'm gonna spoil it for you, he gets out. And we're gonna get to look at how he got out and what he did when he got out of that shadow mission. And hopefully we can apply that to our lives this morning and figure out how we can avoid this mission or maybe get out of where we are right now and get onto God's true mission. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And Luke is right at the beginning of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. We'll put everything up on the screen so you guys can follow along. So Luke 19 shows us the story of a guy named Zacchaeus. And if you grew up anywhere near a church, vacation Bible school, Sunday morning church, you learned a song as a kid about Zacchaeus. And it went something like this. Zacchaeus was a... Oh, you guys know it. That's awesome. And a wee little man was he. We learned this awesome little story about this little guy named Zacchaeus. And he was a short guy. And this is the basic story. So Jesus is coming through his town. Everybody wanted the chance to meet Jesus. And Zacchaeus is no different. And he's walking. And because he's so short, he can't see over the crowds to watch Jesus walk through the town. He can't get through. The crowds are too tightly packed. And so like any self-respecting adult, he sees a tree and says, I'll climb that. Why not? So he gets over to the tree. He climbs up the tree. Jesus comes passing by. And as he looks up in the tree, he says, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. That's the basic story. And it's really close, the song from the kids' stories into the story in the Bible. But there's some details in the Bible that I want us to look at today. Because it's huge that Jesus chose to go to his house. And what happens to Zacchaeus afterwards is fantastic. So Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. So Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich. How many of us like paying taxes? Oh, we're honest this morning. Awesome. 
None of us like paying taxes. I think most of us would say, okay, I understand that I need to pay taxes. There are legal ramifications if we don't. It's the way our system works. This is just the way it's set up. And so we pay taxes. And the same happened in Jesus' day. Everybody paid taxes. But there was a difference. Hopefully, we don't hate the people who collect our taxes. Most likely, we don't even know them. We write a check out to a tax collector. But I'm going to guess most of us here don't know that person. So hopefully, we don't hate that person. In Jesus' day, people despised tax collectors. And it's because of the system that Rome set up. So Rome owned giant spaces of land and they couldn't collect all the taxes. So they would go into a region and they would recruit locals. And they'd say, look here, we're gonna hire you. You're gonna collect taxes. We don't care how you do it. We don't care how much you collect, just as long as we get our portion. They made it legal for tax collectors to extort people. So these tax collectors would go out and they would get more than they needed so that they would have some for themselves and they would send the rest off to the chief tax collector. And so what Zacchaeus set up was his own little pyramid scheme is that he collected extra from all of the tax collectors until he was at the very top getting all the extra portions. Who remembers a guy by the name of Bernie Madoff? We don't like Bernie Madoff, do we? He's a little easier to connect with. Bernie Madoff had this Ponzi scheme going. He ripped off somewhere around 5,000 people to the tune of its estimated $65 billion with a B. $65 billion. Zacchaeus was his time period's Bernie Madoff. That's why people hated him. And he didn't just rip off these rich investors. He ripped off the poor and the needy, and those who didn't have two coins to put together. And Rome said, I need one of those coins. And Zacchaeus said, I need half of the other. And so Zacchaeus was feared. He was rich. He was powerful, but he was not well-loved. And we see that toward the, the end of his story here. In verse six, Jesus has walked by. He said, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. So Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. He couldn't believe this guy was coming to his house. Verse seven, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. See, nobody liked Zacchaeus and they couldn't believe Jesus was gonna spend any time with him because they lumped tax collectors in with what they considered the lowest of their society. It was prostitutes, murderers, and tax collectors. That's the crowd at the bottom rung of the ladder, and nobody will have anything to do with them. And here's Jesus going to have dinner with the worst person any of these people can think of. And they hate him because he's a traitor to them, right? He's a Jew, working for the Roman oppressors, taking money from them to send off to Rome. He's a traitor and he's a cheat. Now, I don't think Zacchaeus wanted to be known that way. We don't know a lot about his story, but none of us want to be known as traitor and cheats. I think Zacchaeus fell into a shadow mission of money. I think he started to get a taste for it and he got a little more and a little more and he decided, I need more of this. And I need to live up to a certain lifestyle status. And I need to be seen in a certain way. And I need a certain level of comfort. And I'll do anything I can to get that. And I think it probably started out small and got bigger and bigger. But remember, it's not about the money. It's always something a little bit deeper. And I think 
what Zacchaeus was doing was falling into a shadow mission all of us had the potential to fall into. And that's that he chose to trust money rather than his God. Zacchaeus is a Jew. He believes in the same God we believe in. But Zacchaeus was choosing to trust money instead of God for his welfare, for his comfort, for people around him to come to him and maybe look like they like him or they love him. And he was trusting his future hope and happiness to this stuff. That's the shadow mission I think we fall into. I think that's where it starts. That's where we trip up. Because money is a tangible thing. God isn't. Money is something we can see, we can physically feel, or in a more casual society, we can see a number in a bank account somewhere or in a spreadsheet or in a checkbook. And when we don't have enough, we figure, I can get a little bit more. And once we have that little bit more, we go, well, that's not quite enough. I need that new car. I need that new house. I need those nicer clothes. I need to be able to go and do those certain things. And we fall into this constant need for more and more. And we put our trust for happiness, our hope for a better future, the idea that money will protect us from things going wrong, or if something goes wrong, it will get us out of it. The hope that will fulfill our desires. And that's the lie of the shadow mission. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Paul said, look, trusting in money is useless because it goes away. We have all had that feeling of having a brand new paycheck and within a week, it's gone. Or in 2008, when the market fell out from underneath us, how many people lost retirement savings? How many people lost that nest egg they were hoping to rely on? How many people went, there's no way I can retire in the next three years I thought I was going to? or in the five years I thought I was going to, or in the 20 years I was going to, I can't build that back again. It's gone. Money disappears. It is unreliable, and we have very little control over it. In fact, when we fall into this shadow mission, what happens is that our money controls us. Instead of us using our money To serve God's mission, our money begins to control us. It dictates our lives. It makes decisions for us. It forces us to do things we really don't want to do. So we have to avoid this shadow mission any way that we can. So we need to know what to look for. One of the best ways to either get out of the shadow mission or to stay away from the shadow mission is to know what a shadow mission looks like in our lives. There are some flags we can look for. A shadow mission will exhaust us. A true mission will energize us. So if we are constantly tired because of our finances, when you sit down to to go through your budget, are you just emotionally drained and exhausted month after month after month? We might be in a shadow mission for our money. Are you physically exhausted? because of the hours you put in week after week after week. When you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, two, three, and four jobs. I've been there. There's a time in my life where I was working four jobs and going to school because I thought that I needed to. 
And that's a lie of the shadow mission. Now, I'm not saying there aren't seasons of our life where we have to work harder to take care of stuff. That happens. Things go sideways. Something happens. Something breaks. We need to take on a side job. We need to do a little bit extra. We need to put in some extra hours. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a lifestyle where we are constantly exhausted by our finances. That might mean that we're in a shadow mission. A shadow mission comes from guilt and insecurity, If we are constantly guilty about our money, the way we spend it, or maybe the fact that we don't have enough to spend because of something that's happened, then we might be in a shadow mission. We might need to take a look at things differently. Do we feel insecure about our money, that we don't have enough, that we don't know what to do with it? Maybe we have too much and we're hoarding it away and we're just waiting for that next shoe to drop because we're sure that we're going to need that extra little piece. And if it's insecurity and guilt driving our budgets, then we might be in a shadow mission. This one is huge. A shadow mission is all about us. A true mission involves us, but it includes God and others. A shadow mission is about us. A true mission includes God and others. This is huge when it comes to our finances. Do we plan for God and for others when we plan our monthly budgets. Here's another take on this question. This is the one that gets me. Do I include God and others in my monthly planning? Do I ask God, all right, here's the money I know coming in next month. How do you want me to spend it? And then plan my budget accordingly. If you are married, are you including your spouse in your budget planning. So often we get into trouble with our finances. And if you're married or you're with a significant other and you're both involved in those finances, what tends to happen is we get embarrassed by what's happened. And so we fade away with that. No, don't worry about it. Finances are good. Everything's okay. Spend what you want. It's all right. And then debt piles up and piles up and piles up. And money becomes the thing that drives a wedge between more couples than almost anything else because we're not willing to have an honest conversation about it. Are we involving God and others in the planning of our finances? Do we get them in ahead of time so that the long-term plan tracks out properly? Finally, a shadow mission will make us feel further away from God while a true mission brings us closer to him. And I think we've experienced this. If you've ever given to a cause that you believe in, you feel is right, you know God is behind, it makes us feel good. It feels good to be generous. That draws us close to God. When it's all about us and our little circle, that draws us away from God. So we need to know what the shadow mission looks like. We need to do our best to avoid it. Or if we're in it, begin to get out of it. And the best way to do that is to surrender to God's mission for our finances. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus does. In Luke 19, verse eight. Now here's a really interesting part is this happens right alongside this text here. Zacchaeus comes down. Jesus says, I'm going to your house. The people grumble and Zacchaeus responds. We don't know exactly how much time, but this is a really short time period. So something in this interaction with Jesus changes Zacchaeus' heart. And here's what he says. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor. That's a big statement coming from this guy. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back 
four times as much. So Zacchaeus gets so hit by this true mission of God that he does a total 180. I'm giving half of it away. And whatever I have left, I'm going to use it to make things right with the people that I cheated. God got his heart. And all of a sudden, the money didn't matter anymore. And I think this is a picture of God's true mission for our finances. First, we need to be generous. We need to be generous. And Paul talks about that back in that first Timothy reference. He tells him, use your money for good. These people should be rich, that's us, in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Be rich in good works, not in money and finances. Be rich in doing good things and be generous. And here's the reason we can be generous. None of it's ours. And this is the thing I think is hardest to wrap our minds around, especially as Americans. We work our tails off for that money. We get a side hustle. We put in extra hours. We work hard for the promotion. We do everything we can for that number in that bank account. And it feels like it's ours because we have worked hard. But the Bible is very clear that nothing belongs to us. It's a gift to us from God. And so God calls us to be good stewards of what he gives us. Now, that's not a term we use really anymore, but a steward was somebody who worked for a master and took care of what that master owned and then used that stuff for the master's mission and to better their name. It wasn't for the steward's good. It was for the master's good and for the master's plan. And that's what God calls us to be. As Christ followers, we are to be stewards of what he gives us. That's our finances. It's our time, it's our energy, it's our money. It's not ours. Now here's the fun part. It's a whole lot easier to be generous with something that's not ours. When we have somebody else's checkbook, we can write a really big check. And so God says, you can be generous because I'm giving all of this to you. And I want you to use it for good things in this world. And I want you to make an impact in your community for me. So be generous. Now, part of being a good steward is taking care of our families. It's very clear in the Bible. We're to provide for our families. And it's making a plan for our finances. But we involve God in that plan. And we involve somebody else in that plan. And we get started on the right track to avoid the shadow mission. And we are generous. Then the last thing that happens to Zacchaeus is he goes and makes things right. And this is something we're working with with my kids. So I heard my wife do this, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, and it stuck with me, and I've been repeating it ever since to my kids. Um, they were playing in the, in the toy room, and there was a brand new toy in the middle, and they were sharing it really nicely, but as always happens between two kids, all of a sudden, it's mine. That's my toy. You can't have my toy. And then the screaming begins. And I want it, and no, it's mine, and no, they gave it to me. And what I heard my wife do, instead of what I would have done, which I would have stepped in and said, no, it's mine. You can't have it anymore. My wife is so much smarter than I am. And she walked in and she said, hey guys, that's just a toy. 
and people are more important than things. So we're not gonna fight over that toy. We can make a decision. You guys can either choose to put it up and not have it anymore, or you can decide to share it. But people are more important than things. We're not gonna fight about that toy. And man, that stuck with me. Is there a business deal that's gone bad in our lives somewhere? Is there a relationship broken because of an unpaid debt? Because a finance has gone wrong? Is there somebody you haven't talked to in 20 years because of something that happened with money? Because money does that to us. It breaks relationships. What Zacchaeus does is he went and made it right because the relationship was more important than the money. The person was more important than the money. God doesn't care about the money. He cares about the person. So we need to go make things right. Now, as you guys know, I really look for the practical stuff that we can do when we look at these stories. I really think that when we're reading this Bible, when we're hearing about God, we need to learn how to apply it to our lives. And so as I was putting this message together, I tried to come up with some practical things we can do this week to get away from the shadow mission of money. Here's the first one. I got this from a message from Tim. He gave this about a year ago, talking about financial freedom. And he challenged us to live a 10-10-80 life. And this is what it means. You give 10%, you save 10%, you live off of the rest, the 80%. Here's what I can tell you from experience. God can do a whole lot more with that 80% than I can ever do with the 100%. Somehow, and I don't know how to figure it out, but somehow when I take that first 20% and I give God 10% and I save 10%, God uses that 80% to figure out the rest of the month. That's something practical. We can put into practice this week in our lives. Live a 10, 10, 80 life. Here's the next one. Give first. I'm not asking you to give right now here at Epic, okay? Talk to God about what this looks like in your life, but give first. My parents brought me up with this idea in my head, and I'm so grateful for it. When we were kids, we got um, an, an allowance, and we had these five envelopes that we got to fill with that allowance. And they were um, tithing, which is what we called giving to the church, long-term savings, short-term savings, entertainment, and spending. I think that's right. If you've been through FPU with Dave Ramsey, I think he has a similar method. Uh, My mom's is better. Sorry. Um, And then what we would do is we would take that $2 or $5, whatever allowance was, and we would divide it up proportionally into those envelopes. And we put them in that order. Tithing, long-term savings, short-term savings, entertainment, and spending. And then as soon as that envelope for tithing was filled, the next Sunday, we went and took that money out. We took it and we used to pass plates at our church and we would put it right in the plate. And I learned from a very early age, you give first. And here's why. If you don't give first, you probably won't give. And I learned this as I got older and was very grateful for what my parents had taught me because when I got out of the house and I had rent and a car payment and insurance and then things broke, and then extra things broke, and I wanted to go out and eat a whole lot more than I really should have, and I wanted to go hang out with friends, and all of a sudden, my monthly budget just crumbled and disappeared. And if I didn't give first when that paycheck came in, I didn't give that month. And so give first. And that's something I put into my life every single month. 
Give back to God first. Then the last thing, we talked about this already, make things right relationally. If since I said that, a name came up to you, a situation, something sticks in your head, I want to really challenge you. Go make that right this week. At least try. Make a phone call, send a letter, reach out to the person. But people are more important than things. And it's worth taking the effort to do it. Guys, don't serve your money. Make your money serve God's mission. And if we do that, I guarantee you, even though we can't explain it, we get happier about our finances, about our living situations, about things that are going on in our lives because we give up control. We surrender and say, look, God, I'm gonna trust you for this. And every single time we do that, God steps in and shows how amazing he is. So don't serve your money. Let your money serve God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us take in what you had to say today. God, finances are a finicky thing. And like I said right at the beginning, we don't like to talk about this stuff because we know it goes deeper than just a number in a checkbook or in a banking account um, or something in our wallets. God, this is about who we are deep inside. It's about what our hearts look like. It's about our priorities. And that's the sticky stuff. So God, this morning, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would settle deep and that you would speak to us individually, God. Every person in this room, I pray that you would speak to them about what your mission looks like for them. Give us courage to step out. Give us joy as we do it. And God, I just pray that this would change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. I hope you had a great morning. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll see you all next week.